Hey, can we give it up one more time for those kids and our Connect Kids volunteers who led them so incredibly well? That was super cute. Lots of fun. There were kids even that jumped in today that had never practiced or rehearsed. They're like, yeah, put me on stage. I'll play the drum. Cool. Let's do it. We need more people like that. That's pretty fantastic. Hey, a few moments ago, our worship team led us in some popular and well-known Christmas carols. One of the carols that we sang was Silent Night. How many of you guys would say Silent Night is my favorite Christmas carol? It's the one that I always get excited about. Okay, a few of you guys, some hands going up. Good. I'm about to destroy that song for you guys, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, I love Silent Night. It's one of my favorites, but I have to be honest, it paints an incredibly unrealistic picture about what the birth of Jesus was actually like. In fact, if you look at the lyrics, we'll put them here on the screen once more. If you pay attention to the words that are used in this song, you get this, I don't know, you just, let's see what it says here. It talks about it being silent. Have you ever heard of a silent birth? No, of course not. Talks about it being calm. Do you think it was calm? Doubtful. Talks about it being bright. It was nighttime. How is it bright? the, The sun's not out. Tender, so sweet and mild. It's peaceful. If you only were to look at the first verse of Silent Night, you would get the sense that the birth of Jesus was the most tranquil moment that ever existed in the history of the world. And in fact, every nativity scene that you've ever seen reinforces the idea that the birth of Jesus was this clean, picture-perfect sort of moment. I'll put a typical nativity scene here on the screen for you. And this is like, yeah, this is standard. This is is what you would usually see as a depiction of the birth of Jesus. You'll notice it always takes place in a small but clean wooden shack, right? There's always this nice, clean little wooden shack that Jesus is born in. And Jesus is always, you know, laying perfectly in the hay. He's this fat, snuggly little infant. You know, he's just so cute. Gotta lay eyes. He's perfect, right? Mary and Joseph in all of these pictures, they look like they totally understand everything that's going on in this situation. And they're 100% at peace with all of their circumstances. You'll notice in these manger scenes, they're always surrounded by two to three freshly washed animals. You know, never a lot of animals, just enough to let you know there were animals there. And of course, the animals are always clean. They're always fresh. They always look great. And apparently, the animals know that this was a very special night because in every depiction of a manger scene you have ever laid eyes on, they are so calm and quiet. They're just being their cute little sheep selves and worshiping baby Jesus in their own way, right? I mean, it's like this night is calm and quiet in every way that matters. Every time we picture the nativity, it's this perfect postcard scene without any untidiness, without any messiness, without any loose ends at all. But can I tell you, that is not the way the birth of Jesus looked. How many of you guys know that's not true? That is not at all the way things went down. In fact, if you read the story as it's told in the Bible, you find out that it was almost the exact opposite of this really clean, perfect postcard image. If we go to Luke chapter number two, 
and we read the actual story of the birth of Christ, you're going to see a very different picture than what you might have seen, you know, on, on images or, or at times past. So Luke chapter number two, we're going to read a few verses together this morning, and uh, they're on the screen, so you can follow along with me right there. But I also want to tell you guys that we have free Bibles at the big banner up front. And so if you don't have a copy of the Bible, or if you've lost it, or, you know, you want a new one, just stop by there, and we give these away for free. We want you to have a copy of of the scripture in your hands. And so by all means, take one on your way out. If you say, but Dan, I don't even know if I believe the Bible. That's okay. Not a big deal at all. And you say, I don't even know where I would start reading. Start right here in the gospel of Luke. That'd be a great place to jump in. You'll start with the Christmas story, which seems very appropriate for this time of year. Okay. Free Bibles. Make sure you pick one up. Luke chapter number two. We're going to read verses one through seven here and listen to the story as it's told in the Bible. It doesn't look and sound anything like the story I just described to you. The Bible says, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Verse two tells us, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph, Jesus' father, because, or his earthly father, anyway, Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to the town of Bethlehem in the region of Judea, which was David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, if you pay close attention to those verses, you find out that this was not silent. This was not a calm night. This was not a peaceful moment where there was nothing amiss and everybody was so happy and not worried about anything. No! When you pay close attention to the story of the birth of Jesus, you find out it was an absolute mess. So listen, when the Bible says that Mary and Joseph had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, let me explain to you what that trip actually entailed. When they left Nazareth, they had to travel on foot three days in order to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Then let's remember that this is in the middle of the Palestinian desert, you guys. So this is not paradise. This was not an easy trek. This was very, very difficult. Three days through the desert, and because of the way the geography worked there, uh, Bethlehem was up on a mountain. And so they were going uphill the entire way. This was not an easy trick or, uh, trip or track for Mary and Joseph. And let's not forget, Mary was nine months pregnant the whole time they're making this journey. Now look, I've never been nine months pregnant myself, okay? But everything I know about being nine months pregnant is that it is miserable. Every woman I've ever seen that is nine months pregnant is uncomfortable. They're sweating constantly. They're just ready for that thing to be out. And there's no reason to suppose that Mary was any different. And in the middle of being nine months pregnant, She's got to walk three days on foot through the Palestinian desert, uphill, not both ways, but at least one of the ways. This was a tough trip. Now, we also have to point out the fact that Mary was a teenager, and the story she told was that she got pregnant 
and God was responsible. Now, look, I was a youth pastor for 16 years, and I've seen some kids do some dumb things, and I have seen them tell some stories in order to get out of trouble. But I'll just tell you, this whole God knocked me up thing, that story tops the tree, you know? I've never heard anything quite so crazy as that. And my guess is we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and say, well, look who Jesus grew up to be. I mean, Mary was telling the truth. He really was. The son. This is crazy, but this is what happened. We have the benefit of hindsight. But do you think anybody in the moment believed Mary's story that God is the one who made her with child? No, they thought Mary and Joseph spent too much time together on Friday night, things got out of hand, and next thing you know, she's preggers, right? Like nobody would have taken their story seriously. So here's the deal. Not only were they making this very difficult journey, but they were making it under a cloud of suspicion and rumors about what was really going on. Their reputation was essentially destroyed. So they're making this arduous trek down to Bethlehem. The government is forcing them to do it. I'm sure they didn't want to have to do it, but here they go. And because this is the first century, there were no phone lines. There was no internet. There was no Airbnb, okay? And so if you went on a journey, there was no way for you to reserve or register a room ahead of time. You just had to go, and whenever you got where you were going, you had to hope that there was a room. Can you imagine going on a vacation, and your wife is like, so where are we going to be staying? And you're like, I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. I don't know. We'll figure it out. No, nobody would do that, and yet this is precisely what Mary and Joseph have to do. They go on this three-day trek. They don't have any promise of a room, and in fact, when they get to the inn, because everybody is traveling due to the census, there is no room available. I can almost imagine poor Joseph, you know, he's up there at the counter and he's talking with the innkeeper and Mary's sitting there super pregnant. She's like, what's he saying? What's he saying? You know, and Joseph turns around and he's like, well, good news, babe. We get to go camping tonight. Like, I I know you're nine months pregnant and you really don't want to be sleeping outside, but we don't really have much of an option here because there's no room. Finally, the innkeeper throws him a bone and he's like, hey, I think I might have something for you. And Joseph's like, awesome. Okay, he found an extra room or he's going to put us in a store closet. And the innkeeper's like, no, actually, I'm going to put you up in the same place that we keep all of our barnyard animals, right? I mean, this was a very difficult situation that Mary and Joseph found themselves in. Now, Now, look, when we talk about the manger or the stable, when we picture the birth of Jesus, it's almost always like in a wooden shack, right? A barn or a stable or something like that. But that's not how they did it in the first century. And that's not the sort of structure that Jesus was born in. This was the Palestinian desert. There weren't trees everywhere. They didn't build houses and stores and that sort of stuff out of wood. They built it out of stone. But nobody would have built a barn out of stone. Instead, what they did with their animals was they made use of these naturally occurring caves that were all over the hillsides in Bethlehem. In fact, if you go to Bethlehem today, you can see all of these caves in the hills. And so shepherds or landowners, farmers, they would take their animals, they would pen them up inside of a cave, and that is the place that Mary and Joseph were offered room to stay. When you picture the birth of Jesus, I don't want you to picture this nice, clean, wooden shack. It's all picture perfect. No, they were in a cramped, poorly ventilated, foul-smelling cave with lots and lots of other animals surrounding them. Again, this is not a picture-perfect scene. In fact, it's really, really messy. 
So um, do you think those animals were quiet, by the way? You know, it's filled with it. Do you think they were quiet and just like, you know, worshiping Jesus in their own little sheep way? No, they were loud. They were obnoxious. They were doing what animals do, if you know what I mean. This was not a sanitary environment. Okay, then what about eight pounds, six ounce newborn baby Jesus, right? What do they do with him? You read the story and the scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph, they give birth in this unsanitary environment. They wrap him in cloths and they lay him in a manger. Now the manger we usually refer, used to refer to like the whole structure where the whole thing went down, right? But that's not what a manger is. A manger is a little feed trough. It's a little box. And so when they say they laid Jesus in a manger, what they're saying is Jesus didn't get a crib. He didn't have a little bed. He was stuck in a goat's food bowl. Like literally that's where the savior of the world was laid and spent his first night. And look, Jesus for sure was a special baby. Okay, there's no denying that. But there's nothing in the birth narratives that suggests that baby Jesus didn't do what every baby does, which is cry, eat, poo, repeat, right? There's no reason to suspect that Jesus was like a perfect baby who never cried and he never soiled his diaper. If that were the case, somebody would have written that down. They would have been like, this baby was crazy. He never made a mess. Nobody said that. Why? Because he was a normal baby. So this was not this clean scene. This was not this tidy little hallmark moment. It was a mess and it was stressful and it was unsanitary. It was not at all what we typically picture when we picture the very first Christmas. Now, here's the thing. I don't, I'm not totally sure why it is that we do this, but we have this strong urge to sanitize the Christmas story, you know, to cover up all of these ugly bits, to make it very nice and tidy and clean without any of these weird details and all of the hurt and heartache and fear that Mary and Joseph must have been experiencing. We just whitewash over all of that and instead make it this perfect picture of a moment. But it's important for you and I to remember that it was not a picture-perfect moment. This was not clean. It was not tidy. And it's very important that we remember that. Because not only do we try and sanitize the Christmas story, you and I feel the need to try to sanitize our own story too, don't we? Let's just be honest for a sec. We like, to san we like a perfectly clean story about the birth of Jesus and if we're honest, we like to tell perfectly clean stories about ourselves. We always want to paint ourselves in the best light. We always want to put our best foot forward in the same way that we'll cover over the ugly bits of the, the first Christmas. We'll cover over the ugly bits of this Christmas, right? Life is a mess. We're fighting with our spouse. We don't have money. Family's coming over and we wish they would just stay home. It's ugly, but we don't tell anybody that, right? We like to pretend like, no, we're well put together. Everything is fine. My goodness. I mean, I just like my story and I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, brother and sister, right? We pretend, we pretend like our lives, like our Christmases are not messy. Now, look, if you doubt that in any way, shape, or form, all you need to do is go look at Instagram, okay? If you go to Instagram, what do you find? You find me and you, telling sanitized stories about ourselves. That's really what it is, isn't it? Every time we post Instagram, it's always optimal angles. You know, it's always up here. It's never down here because you don't want that double chin hanging out. Seriously, it's always the perfect filter, you know? You know which filters you look good in and which ones you don't look good in. 
You're always searching for that perfect caption. It's poetic and inspiring, and everybody who reads it is like, wow, she's just the best, you know? We tell these sanitized, perfect stories of ourselves as if everything is always merry, as if everything is always cheerful, as if our lives are not messy, we have no problems, everything is clean and nice and well put together. But how many of you guys know that is not reality? That is not the way Christmas is for me. It's not the way Christmas is for you either. If we're honest, all of us are a hot mess. We are every bit as messy as the birth of Jesus. We just try to sanitize it. We try to hide it the best we possibly can. Now, um, it seems like we do this not only individually, but we also have a tendency to do this as a group in churches, you know? Um, maybe you have been a part of churches in the past. Some of you guys are here this morning and you're like, I can't believe I showed up. I promised I would never go back to church and here I am. Well, I don't know. I'm glad you're here. And I gotta tell you, you may have been a part of churches in the past where they only wanted sanitized stories to be told, right? Where it's not like even the stories that were, they didn't even have to be true as long as they were tidy, right? People kind of put their best foot forward. They always dressed to the nines. They acted like they never did the wrong things, never said the wrong things, never had those kind of thoughts. It's like, I want to present myself like I've got it all together. And that's the way some churches are. In fact, you may have tried to fit in at other churches. And it's not, you, it's not that you couldn't fit in because you weren't being real. It's that you couldn't fit in because nobody would let you be real. There are so many religious communities, Christian and otherwise, that act as though the only stories that God is happy with and the only stories that we should ever celebrate or you know, tell are the clean ones, where we've washed over all the messy bits and pretended like everything is okay. But here's the great thing about Christmas. Here's the great thing about the birth of Jesus. Christmas proves that God is not afraid of messy situations. God is not afraid of messy lives. God is not scared away by your mess. Everything about the birth of Jesus was messy and ugly and weird, and it leaves questions and there are loose ends and why did God do it this way? Do you realize God could have, he, Jesus could have been born in any way, shape, or form. He could have come as a king. There could have been a parade. He could have been born rich. He could have come in any way, and yet God chose this incredibly messy, ugly story in which his son would be born. Why? Why did God choose this messy story? Because our lives are messy. Because he wants us to know he is not scared of our messes, that it's okay when we say the wrong thing or if we do the wrong thing. It's okay if we're not perfectly put together. It's okay our messes will not push God away from us. That's why it's important not to sanitize the Christmas story, to see it and read it as it actually was, not the way that it's often told because it was as ugly as every one of our lives is. My friends, if you have questions about your faith this morning, you're like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. I just, I'm not even sure about any of this stuff. Can I tell you God is not afraid of that mess? In fact, when you read the Bible, you find that Mary 
had grave questions when the angel appeared to her and said, God is going to give you a baby and Joseph's not going to be involved. She's like, wait, what? If you read the gospel of Luke, she argued with the angel because she had questions. She had doubts. She had fears. And God was not afraid of Mary's messy situation. He's not afraid of your messy situation. I don't know what you've been through this year. I mean, it may have been all highlights or it could have been all lowlights. Maybe unexpectedly, you didn't plan for this, but this last year included a divorce. Maybe that was part of your story this year. And you're hurt and you're angry and you're frustrated with God and with people and you're like, Argh. and maybe you've got the idea that because of what you've gone through, somehow God is keeping you at arm's length. Can I tell you, God is not afraid of your mess. Did you know that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he was gonna divorce her. The Bible is very explicit. He like went and made an appointment with the divorce lawyer. He was ready to go. And the only reason he didn't follow through with it is because another angel showed up and said, bro, calm down, don't do it, okay? So listen, God wasn't afraid of their messy relationship. And he's not afraid of your messy situation. Maybe you're dealing with a health threat this year. Maybe you've gotten a bad diagnosis. Maybe you're dealing with something chronic and you're like, it's such a mess and I don't know where God's at in this situation. Can I tell you, God is not afraid of the mess you're dealing with. He is not pushed away because you're struggling with your health. Do you realize that Jesus' health was threatened when Herod, the governor, decided that he was going to kill every child his age, Jesus' health was threatened too. And God was not afraid of that messy situation. He's not afraid of your mess either. Perhaps this Christmas, you're dealing with relational struggles. Like your family's coming over and you wish, honestly, I just wish they wouldn't come over. Uh, it's distant, it's hard. My mom and I don't get along. My sister is making all these terrible decisions. It is really, really hard for me to deal with this right now. God is not afraid of your mess. Did you know, we never hear anything in the Bible about Mary and Joseph's parents, Jesus' grandparents. Did you know that? We, ne we know their names, but literally nothing else. Where were they? What were they doing? How come they didn't get together on subsequent Christmases and give gifts to baby Jesus? And how come they didn't take him and watch him so Mary and Joseph could have date night and stuff? We don't know. Did they have trouble believing Mary's story early on? I don't know. But I can tell you they were absent, at least as far as we know, in this family's life. So look, if God wasn't scared about relational friction in the Holy Family, he ain't scared of relational friction in your family either. God is not afraid of our messes. And Christmas proves it because it is one messy story. You see, when we try to sanitize either the Christmas story or our story, we may make it more palatable, but we also make it less powerful. We don't want to clean up our story. We don't want to clean up Jesus' story because the power in this story is that God is not afraid of messy situations. Do not try to tidy up a situation that God is perfectly okay with being untidy. We don't have to have our lives together in order to be loved by God. 
We don't have to be the perfect family. We don't have to pretend like life is not tough and we don't have doubts and struggles and sins that hold us back. The message of Christmas is that God sees our dirt and he hugs us anyway. God is not afraid of our messy situations. He loves us. Look at something Jesus said. We'll finish with this verse here. Um, 30 or so years after you know, Jesus was born, he has a conversation. And this conversation that he has is really important because it essentially tells us everything we need to know about Jesus, about God, and about ourselves in like three sentences, okay? So baby Jesus has grown up and now he is man Jesus, all right? Man Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And this is what Jesus has to say. Oh, by the way, I'll just point out, Jesus is going to talk about himself in the third person here, which is one of my pet peeves. I think that's really weird when people do it. So if it was anybody but Jesus, I would give him a hard time about this. But, you know, he gets a pass. Okay, so look at what Jesus says. This is how much God loves the world. I want to pause just on that moment, on that word, love, for a moment. Because this may be different from what you assumed the Bible said about God. This might be different from what you've heard that God feels towards people. God is not angry. God is not mad at you. God isn't waiting for you to get your life together, and if you don't, he's gonna squish you like a bug. The Bible says Jesus tells us from firsthand knowledge that God's primary emotion and orientation towards you is love. Somebody say love. Let's do better. Love. You got to know when God looks at you, he doesn't feel disappointment. He doesn't feel frustration and anger. He doesn't feel distance. When God looks at you, he feels love. This is how much God loved me and you, that he gave. God is a giver. He doesn't require. He gives freely and graciously. Like Jesus was the original Christmas present, you guys, and he was the best one. He's never been topped. You can't get any better than that. God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, not just people who have their lives together, Not just religious people, not just good people, not just people who have no doubts, not just people who have no struggles, so that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He doesn't say everyone who gets their act together. He doesn't say everybody who shows up for church on Sunday. He doesn't say everybody who puts money in the offering plate. He doesn't say everybody who's nice. He doesn't say everybody who does Christmas just right. He doesn't say any of that. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, that is trusts, has faith in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Life. And then look at this next verse. John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. John 3.17 gets almost no coverage, and it's really important. Because Jesus says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but so the world might be saved through him. Why did Jesus come that first Christmas? To save us. Why was it messy? 
because we're messy. And if God can do something incredible, something miraculous, something truly wonderful through the birth, the messy birth of Jesus, then he can do something through our mess as well. Now, we're going to point out that last word there that's underlined like 80 times, saved. Jesus came to save the world. Who needs to be saved? Is it just the bad people? Is it just people who do wrong or don't believe? Who needs to be saved? Jesus says the world, everyone, all of us need to be saved. Why? Because we're all broken, flawed, sinful people. We're a mess, you guys. And it's time we stop sanitizing our story. It's time we stop pretending like we weren't a mess and we have it all together. We should own our mess and know that God loves us anyway. See, according to Jesus, according to Jesus, let's go back one. According to Jesus, you and I are not just mistakers who need correction. We're not just people who, you know, sometimes get it wrong and we're mean when we should be nice and we're stingy when we should be generous. And so, you know, we just need somebody to come teach us a better way to live. Try harder, do better, Dan. We are not just mistakers in need of correction. According to Jesus, all of us are sinners in need of salvation. Now, I get it. That's an ugly word. Nobody likes to be called a sinner. I get it. But can you understand that I'm including all of us? They're not good people and bad people. They're just sinners in need of salvation. You guys, I am just as sinful and broken as everybody else on the planet and each of us. We don't need somebody to come give us a better way to live. We need somebody to rescue us from our mess. And that's what Christmas is all about. So, because I just have, you know, guys, listen, I'm a pastor. I, I do this week in and week out. I get paid. To, I'm a professional Christian here, and I still forget these things. So you know what I did this Christmas? I wrote down three declarations, three truths that I need to remember day in and day out. For the past few weeks, I've been reading them to myself every single day, and I wonder if some of these wouldn't be helpful to you as well. First thing I've been telling myself, the first thing that the Christmas story reminds me of is that God sees my mess, and he loves me anyway. This is the central teaching of Christianity and also of Christmas. God sees my mess and he loves me anyway. Second declaration, I have nothing to prove. I don't need to convince you or God or anybody else that I'm a good person and I have my life together because that's a lie. I don't, I'm a mess just like all of us. So I don't have anything to prove. I have a gift to receive. The acceptance, the love, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus in my life. It is not something I earn. It is a gift from God that I receive freely. God sees my mess and he loves me anyway. I don't have anything to prove. I've only got a gift to receive. And lastly, my deepest needs are met only by Jesus. Like everything I truly need. Like I love Christmas gifts. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking forward to unwrapping some presents and checking out what's in the stocking and all that sort of stuff. I even like it when I get socks. I mean, I get excited about presents. But the things that I need most, I'm not gonna find in a box or in a sock. I'm gonna find them in Christ, the original gift, the best that's ever been given. 
because God sees my mess and he loves me anyway. He offers me free grace, forgiveness, and rescue through his son, Jesus. The thing that I need most is only found in Christ. My open prayer for you is that this Christmas, you don't get the sanitized version where everybody's nice, where Jesus and his birth was all perfect. We're gonna lean into the mess. We're gonna be okay with being messy. We're gonna know that God sees our mess and he loves us anyway. And that if we try to sanitize either the Christmas story or our own story, we make it less powerful. I wanna pray for some of you because I believe some of you, you're hearing about this God who loves you and it's different from maybe what you've heard in the past. You thought God was angry and he's judging you and you don't measure up and so you're never gonna be good enough. And yet when you read the words of Jesus, you recognize that God loves you. He accepts you. He embraces you exactly where you're at. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to give you the opportunity to talk to your father and to accept this gift that he's given to each one of us. So I'll invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You don't have to say these words out loud, but you can say them in your heart and God will hear you the same. If you are ready to embrace Christ to take his gift this Christmas season and make it not so much about the shiny presence and more about something meaningful and truly beautiful. It starts with a prayer like this. Say, dear Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. Thank you for giving me both this Christmas. Amen. My friends, if you just prayed that prayer, do you realize life is different. It changes from here on out. When you become a follower of Jesus, you know that you are embraced by God despite your mess, and he sets you on a new path, a path of loving and serving your neighbor and making a difference in the world. No matter what, my hope and prayer is you know how deeply God loves you this Christmas, so much so that he would send his one and only son to pay for our sins, to give us new life, and rescue.